Good morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters. So far in the Hebrew series, we had a look at Jesus, who is our high priest in the new covenant. As a result of this series, probably you might have noticed this keyword better in your mind. Jesus is better than angels who the Jew were tempted to worship. Jesus is better than Moses who received the old covenant and the laws from God. Jesus is a better high priest in the line of Melchizedek than the human priests in the order of Aaron. He is the better mediator who made the new covenant available to us than human high priest under the old covenant. The word better can be rephrased as superior or perfect. Today's chapter continues to explain Jesus' better role in contrast to the old. In chapter 9, the focus of the contrast is in the three areas on the screen. Can you see the contrast of the old and the new by colors in chapter? By noticing the comparison, we will see how Jesus perfectly accomplished his role as our high priest and made an atonement for our sins. Let's start from the first comparison about the worship place. It begins with the old first. The initial part of the chapter describes the structure and purpose of the holy place in the old covenant's worship and sacrifice. We call this worship place the tabernacle, the holy tent, or tent of meeting. Until verse 5, the writer of the book of Hebrews focuses on the two sections, the holy place and the most holy place. Rather than explaining the meaning of the individual furnishings for each room, the writer moves to the different way of worship between the two main sections. When the men read the next verses, could you try to find the difference? Men, could you read the verses, please? When Suki, when? <laughs> What's that? Okay, anyway. Okay, I will, yeah. Man means Jacob, okay. <laughs> when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins 
the people had committed in ignorance. Have you noticed that all the priests could enter the outer room, the first section of the tabernacle, continually to perform their ritual duties? However, for the most holy place, only the high priest could enter just once a year to sacrifice for his and his people's sins. Now you will see why God made this distinction between the two holy places. To avoid confusion, let me explain one thing before you read. On the screen, you will see the word holy places. In the original text, the term tabernacle is used with a plural word, places, which can mean the first section, the second, or the whole. Some Bible versions help by writing the particular place, but some, including this version, try to record it as the original text. This means we need to interpret which is which by the context. So holy places here means the most holy place. Knowing this now, ladies, could you read the verse on the screen, please? Until the time of Reformation. Okay. The Holy Spirit made the distinction between the two places intentionally and symbolically. As you can see, or as you already know, God loves symbolic language. The Bible is full of symbols. The Holy Spirit signified that the way into the real most holy place where they met God directly in the matter of their sins would not be open until the old is reformed or transformed. In comparison to the limitation of the old, the next part shows that Jesus entered into the real most holy place. It's man's turn. Could you read this, please? But... Thanks. These verses are saying that unlike the earthly sanctuary, Jesus entered in the greater and more perfect tent. Then where is the greater and more perfect tent if it was not made with human hands and not belonging to this creation? Let's read one more supporting verse in the later part of this chapter. It's the lady's turn now. For Christ. Christ. 
Do you remember when Moses got the blueprint from God on Mount Sinai to build the old tabernacle? He saw there the pattern of the real one, which was in heaven, and he made a symbolic earthly tent as a copy and shadow of the true holy sanctuary in heaven. Jesus entered into the most holy place in heaven, where he could perform his priestly duty. Now let's move to the second contrast. It's about the sacrificial offering. Man, could you read the verse, please? He entered us. Under the Old Covenant, the animal's blood was offered for the sacrifice. Imagine the situation of looking at the sheep or goat I'd slaughtered because of my sins. Lamb or cow would not mean much to us today. Just imagine, seriously, then what would be the feeling of looking at my beloved dog or cat Killed instead of, uh, instead of me due to my sins. It's quite serious. It's not about lamb. It's not about cow. It's my beloved dog. It's my beloved cat. Every year, killing our animals not because of their fault, but because of my fault, it's your fault, our fault. How horrible it would be. Under the old covenant, this is what happened in the holy tent to remove people's sins. Let me ask you, why blood? Why does God require a blood sacrifice for cleansing our sins? It looks cruel. It looks cruel. These long verses will explain the need of the innocent's blood until the old covenant context. Could you read them in your mind quickly, please? Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is the principle of our just and righteous God. Ladies, could you read the verse from Leviticus, please? For the life of...
God cannot just say, "I will forgive you, my people, and you are free totally." The sins in us should be punished. God said, "The wages of sin is death," because God is righteous and holy. However, God loves us, so He swapped us sinners who should have died. Due to the work for the sin with another, animals were the symbolic substitutes under the old covenant. As the life of the flesh is in the blood, their blood was offered by the mediator, the high priest, who was a sinner also. So he was limited in approaching God to offer the sacrifice. However, under the new covenant. Jesus' own blood, the life of Jesus that was shed on the cross, was offered. Jesus was our sinless high priest, but at the same time, he was the blameless sacrificial offering as well. God substituted His Son instead of us in the outpouring of His wrath because of our sins. Jesus gave His life in His blood for us. That is why verse 16 and 17 talks about the will, death, blood, and the covenant together. The word "will" in the original language is covenant. This is the only part in the Bible that the word "covenant" was translated into "will," not "covenant." It is for putting the emphasis on the fact that without Jesus' death, the atonement for our souls cannot be made. That is God's rule. Men, could you read verse twenty-seven, please? Just as. There is an appointed time for every human being. To die once, and after that comes judgment. If you haven't received Jesus yet in your mind, listen carefully. It's very important. There will be a time we need to deal with what we have done in this earthly life. If we cannot remove the problem of our sins here on earth, after our death, there comes. The judgment and the condemnation, whether you believe or not. However, however, there is good news. Our gracious God does not want us to die eternally in our own sins and to experience the condemnation and the following eternal separation from God, pain and sorrow, because He loves us so so much. Men, could you read verse twenty-eight, please? So Christ was. This is the good news. This is the good news. To bear our sins, Christ shed His blood to activate the new. And complete covenant in His blood. He can save 
and give us a new and eternal life if we are in this perfect blood covenant by believing Jesus with our heart. If you are not received by the precious blood yet, do not hesitate. Believe in Jesus today, now, and I hope you will join us, eagerly waiting for Jesus' second coming. If you don't know how to, come to me or Math or other elders after the service. The help is always, always at hand. Now, when ladies read the next passage, could you try to find the difference of Jesus' sacrifice from the human priests? No. Unlike the old covenant priests, Jesus sacrificed himself only once. He did not need to repeat the sacrifice like them. Why? It's because his single sacrifice was perfect to complete his priestly duty, so he did not need to repeat it. The people in the old covenant had to bring their individual animal each time during their whole life. But Jesus' single sacrifice with his precious blood is powerful to cover all sins forever. Also, unlike the old sacrifice, his sacrifice could be benefit all people who are in God's plan not only Jews or special people. Now let's move to the last contrast. The effect of both sacrifices are so distinctive. Let's see the effect of the old first. Some verses in chapter 10 summarize better the effect of the old sacrifice. While men are reading the verses, could you figure out the effect of the old sacrifice, please? Thank you. The sacrifice in the Old Covenant is temporary, symbolic, limited, and imperfect for cleansing sins, despite the all benefits. It was basically for making people realize their sins and their 
inability to be saved by keeping all the uh, keeping all the old ceremonial laws. The old shadow was for them to realize their need of Christ, the real high priest, and for them to believe Christ, the Messiah, who was foretold because they had no perfect answer to remove their sins with all the sacrifice, and because they were not able to keep the laws in order to gain eternal life with God. The verse on the screen is very, very important. So shall we read the verse all together? He entered. Unlike the old, Jesus' single offering once for all on the cross will secure eternal redemption. That is what the Bible says. That is what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's the good news. Jesus' sacrifice once for all gives us eternal redemption and complete salvation. What a result of one single sacrifice for all. That is why we give glory and give thanks to God forever and ever for the eternal redemption in Jesus. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Also, I want us to focus on another side of the effect of Jesus' once for all sacrifice. Could ladies read these verses, please. In comparison to the old, what is the new result of Jesus' sacrifice? According to these verses, the old washing ceremonies could cleanse only the worshiper's flesh, that is, their body outwardly. But Jesus' blood can cleanse our whole being, including our conscience, from dead works. What does that mean regarding our conscience? This is an important topic as one of the main effects of Jesus shedding his precious blood. However, due to the time limit today, I will deal with only the basics about the conscience based on cross-references in the Bible. However, before we get into the topic, I hope to remind us of two basic things about our salvation. Then we can better understand where and how our conscience works. Firstly, justification happens legally in a moment, but we still have our fleshly nature, 
which will deceive us into sinning. Our gracious God changes our nationality first and is now teaching us how to live in his kingdom. If we are saved and justified, we are supposed to continue in the next step of salvation, which is sanctification. It's only of the evidences that we have been justified and eternally redeemed. Secondly, our salvation has direction. Let me repeat. Our salvation has direction. I told you before in the series on Romans that our salvation has direction. They are from and to in our salvation. Jesus saved us from sins to serve the Lord. Let me repeat. Jesus saved us from sins to serve the Lord, to serve his kingdom. Verse 14 says that the blood of Jesus was offered to purify our conscience from dead works for us, to serve the Lord. Jesus' precious blood was shed to clean our conscience for us, to move up to the next step to go in the right direction in our salvation journey. That is why there are many mentions about the importance of good, clear, or strong conscience in the Bible. What does the conscience do? When we do something wrong, the conscience tells us to off. It is a self-evaluation system God puts inside of every human being. It gives us an uneasy feeling and guilt when we do wrong. The verses in Romans explain about its function, that it accuses and excuses. However, this description is regarding non-believers. Judah Iscariot is a good example of it. After betraying Jesus, he committed a suicide because his conscience accused him. But he had no real excuse for his wrongdoing. Or sometimes we see very good non-churched people who show mercy and kindness generously to others. These are the example of how the conscience works for non-believers. However, the born-again Christian's conscience works for a different purpose. Christian's conscience is more than the non-believers, producing different outcomes. According to great theologian John Calvin, conscience is an important part of our inner being and soul, which is related to the process of our sanctification. God promised to put his laws into our minds and write them on our hearts, not on stones like the old. When the new covenant came in Jesus, he made the new available. It sanctifies our minds, hearts, our inner being, our soul, 
so that we can be sanctified inwardly as well. In the new covenant, the Holy Spirit uses the conscience for us to ring an alarm bell in our soul when we are tempted to sin and accuses us about the wrong. Conscience is one of the tools for our sanctification, which the Holy Spirit gives us as a blessing. Recently, Sugi and I were reminded of a person's story reading a psalm. Please understand that I will make a little change of the context of the story to protect the person's identity. It might be you or me, others, Keith or Matt. <clears throat> long, long ago, when we traveled to a country for business, we met a couple who were very old and unwell. We had a chat on a passage in the Bible and prayed for them. They asked us to meet their daughter as well. So we felt we should go and meet her. We did not mind traveling for more than five hours to see her. Arriving at around 1.30 a.m., because it was the only available time during the business. But we were not at ease about the verses we felt to deliver. The key word that we had to share with these total strangers was shame. Making a long story short, when she read the psalm we brought, she began to share her trouble. Her husband was a plastic surgeon who was running his own clinic, and she was helping him in the work. I don't know how it happened in that country's medical system, but she was doing some minor operation in the theater without a license. Because she was better than a paid doctor and was even better than her husband, one of the staff learned about the secret and was blackmailing her for money for keeping this secret. What a story we never expected to hear. She was struggling deeply because of the blackmail. But she was even more burdened because of the feeling of shame in her mind. We had a long chat and prayed together. After the talk and the prayer for just to express her thanks, she gave us a $2 note as it was regarded as a lucky note because $2 notes were, not, uh, were rare to find. What a superstition. So she gave me the $2 for luck. During the talk with her, I found that she was a very, very young Christian who had become a Christian just recently and did not have much understanding of the Bible. However, I think the Holy Spirit's sanctification work had started already using her conscience. Also by sending a message from strangers to her from a random country, 
the Spirit was encouraging her to strive to be more honest and more holy. To be honest, I don't know how she solved the problem later, but I'm sure that the Spirit would have led her to do it because that is the, uh, the unavoidable sanctification work of the Spirit in us. Individual Christians' conscience reacts differently depending on how sensitive they are to the Word of God. When we are young spiritually, our conscience could be weak and we would have less of a passion for being holy. In the beginning, the level of our conscience could be really low, even to a lower standard in comparison to a non-believer's morals, as Jesus came to call sinners, not the righteous. Jesus made his blood sacrifice for imperfect sinners, including me and you. The Bible teaches us that the conscience can be, become strong or weak. If you look at several references in the Bible regarding conscience, you would find that conscience becomes weak when we neglect the self-warning. Alternatively, the conscience becomes strong when we learn the word of God and obey it. Conscience is a God-given blessing for us to exercise self-evaluation. However, when one's conscience is driven by an inadequate understanding of scriptural truths, the evil one can use this opportunity. In your process of sanctification, you should know if your conscience is being used by the Spirit or the Satan. Let me give you one clue. If the outcome of the accusation inside us makes us depart from the Lord, it is the sign that Satan is using that opportunity. Despite that you're feeling guilty, fighting against the sin, and hearing the alarm bells in your conscience, if you are finally drawn to stop the sin and get close to God, it is the sign that the Holy Spirit is using your conscience. The conscience is one of the functions of the God-given new heart, our inner being for our sanctification. His blood was shed to cleanse our conscience from dead works for us to serve the Lord. Let me wrap up my talk. Can I ask you, are you sure that you have the eternal redemption by believing Jesus' blood sacrifice for you? Then can you tell you know how the conscience works within you by the Spirit? If you have real and growing faith, we are not just satisfied about escaping from the condemnation and the hell. We should have 
a desire for becoming more holy and being sensitive to the Spirit's work through our consciences, which will equip us to serve the Lord. That is the sign that we are in the right process and the direction in our salvation. To clear away the accusation of your conscience, are you fighting enough against your sins? Let me repeat. Are you fighting against uh, are you fighting enough against your sins? To make the conscience sensitive, are you yourself feeding on the word of God enough? Do you think you are too young to be aware of your new heart's function? Invest your time in the Bible and the prayer. Do not waste the opportunity to be holy now on earth. We have opportunity. It's limited opportunity as long as you live on earth. Shall we close our eyes and pray shortly? Let's give thanks to God for saving us. Let's give thanks to Jesus for the new covenant working in us because of his precious ones for all blood's sacrifice. Let's glorify the Holy Spirit who is working within us to sanctify us if you think you are lacking in the evidence of salvation, particularly the sanctification and the work of the conscience, cry to God for help. Cry to God for help. If you are struggling with Satan's accusation regarding particular sins, rebuke him. And remember, Jesus has already perfected the eternal redemption. Cry to God for help. Cry to God for help to make a new start again, to fight against the fleshly desires in us. You can pray in your mind or you can pray out loud. Let's pray to God shortly and the worship team will lead us to praise.